Acts chapter 1, if you would, we're just going to read one verse, one verse, and slow it down a little bit this evening. And the first verse of Acts chapter 2, did I say chapter 1? Chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse number 1. It says this, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. All right, let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your people and for your grace in their lives, your grace in my life and the lives of each member of my family. Thank you, Lord, for working in us, Lord. You know there's so much that's, so many faults and cracks and errors in us, Lord, and our in our motives and our habits, Lord, you know us through and through, but let, yet you love us. Thank you for that. Thank you for continually working in us to make us more like the Lord Jesus. We have a long way to go, but Lord, we're glad that we can trust in your faithfulness. And uh, Lord, we pray for this service tonight, the word that we will study. Lord, I pray that it would be profitable to your people. Lord, through your spirit, would you please speak to us and teach us Help us, Lord, to understand. Help us to obey. Help us uh, and stir our hearts uh, in, our, in our church here, Lord, that we would desire to do the will of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Pentecost. So we, we're entering into the second. This is, uh, this is chapter 2 in, in, Pente- in, uh, chapter two in the book of Acts. It, it is one of what you might call one of the epics in the Bible. Is that the right word? Epic. It is an ep- epoch. Mrs. Uh, Ms. Aguilar probably could correct me on how to say that, right? E-P-O-C-H. In other words, it's a major, major event in, in, the, uh, in the Scripture. You know, it's not quite, I wouldn't say it's quite as important as, of course, the cross and the resurrection, but definitely in there. It's up there with the law, the giving of the law, and uh, because it turns the page, this uh, event, Pentecost, we call it Pentecost because we, when we say that, we're speaking in reference to the coming of the Spirit of God to indwell the believer. But of course, Pentecost is actually, the word just means 50, just means 50th. And what it is, is the, and I'll talk about this later, but it is the 50th day counted from well, basically from the, 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 the day of the Passover, when the lamb was slain, the next day, seven weeks are counted from that day. Seven times seven is 49. The next day is the 50th day, and it is the day of the, the Feast of Weeks in the Bible, the Feast of Weeks, which is like the Feast of Ingathering when the harvest was over, because the harvest in Israel uh, is, happens, happens in, uh, around the around May, which is interesting because we've just passed through that, the time of year, and the, the events in the Scripture, the death of Christ, the resurrection, happen in alignment with the Jewish Passover. The coming of the Holy Spirit is in alignment with Pentecost, which is a Jewish festival as well. Now, we know that, I know that in, in Christendom, in Protestant Christianity, which we don't identify with, by the way, but in Protestant Christianity, they have these feasts, right? These Christian festivals. Christmas is one, you know, they have Lent. How many of you know what Lent? Not that kind of Lent. We're talking about the Feast of Lent. 
Um, some of y'all got that. Some of you didn't. But anyhow, the Feast of Lent, and you have the Feast of, Pas- uh, the Feast of Pentecost. Now, we don't recognize that. We just recognize there's a Jewish feast and a major event happened that really set the course for the next 2,000 years, God's economy and how he dealt with people. But that's not what I want to talk about tonight. That just kind of sets the stage. What we do see in the book of Acts, and as we go along, we will see it more and more, is the beginning of the book of Acts kind of sets the stage, especially after the chapter 2 here, of kind of the high water mark for the church. Do you understand what I mean by that? The high water mark? In other words, it's like the pinnacle. So the things you see in the book of Acts, uh, you, we do have to be careful as we look in Acts with doctrine because things are changing because the church is going from primarily Jewish to primarily Gentile throughout the book of Acts. There's all these different sign gifts that are there and those kind of, as you get closer to the end, kind of taper off. And there's a lot of changes going on about how the law uh, interacts with Christians is all in the book of Acts. And that's unknown at the beginning. It gets firmly established and then later practiced in the book of Acts. All those things are settled. But this is, there's a certain level of transience in the book of, a book of Acts. Okay, So we know that we got to be careful. However, on the spiritual side, it is a high water mark such that the book of Acts is an example to us in many ways, kind of, a, kind of a, an, an example of the way church is supposed to be. And we, can, we at Choice Hills, we can look at the book of Acts and compare our church with the church in the book of Acts. I said on Sunday, and I stick by it, it's true that we are this church, right? There is one body, the body of Christ. We are part of that body. And you know what? These, these Christians we're reading about that are part of the body of Christ, they are part, are, are still now, to this day, part of the body. Now, they've gone to heaven, but they're still part of the body of Christ. We're part of that body. You know what, Ben? You're a part. You're a member of this same body that Peter and Paul and John and James and all those are a part of. And Mary Magdalene and the brothers of Christ, all those, all those people. You and I are part of that body. That makes us feel pretty important, don't we? Right? We're part of that body. We are. And you know, we're equal members. Equal members in the body of Christ. This same body. So we look at these and we look at Choice Hills Baptist Church and what we can do is we can see, we can, we can view this and compare ourselves not to try to emulate or try to have uh, some sort of pride thing, but, but we can look at this and say, is our church here? Does our church value these things? Because these are exemplary characteristics. And what I want to look at is I want to look at a couple of characteristics that are in verse 1 that kind of set the bar for the church of God, the local church, for all local churches based upon this example. Verse 1 says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord... In one place. Just two points. Being in one accord and being in one place. All right. So I just want to make two points. I want to look at, look at some verses in Acts and a couple other places. But what I want you to see is these two things, these two points, one accord, one place, occur together in different forms. The church, the early church in the book of Acts 
as a direct result of God's work in them in a, in a miraculous way, in, a, in an exemplary way, in a way that set the standard, we see these characteristics repeated over and over and over in the book of Acts. And I just want us to, I, I want us to look at ourselves, look at our church. Our church is not inferior to this church. We live in a different era, a different spiritual climate. Yes, our church is not inferior though. Why? We're part of the same one body. And I'm not saying that just to make you feel good. That is doctrinally and factually true. That is a fact of doctrine. So our church can look at this and can follow this example. And um, the, we, leave, we leave the results to God. Well, I'm not going to stand here and say, well, if we do this, then this is going to happen. That, that kind of stuff's up to God. But God does show an example here. One accord in one place. First thing I want you to see is one accord. To be in one accord just simply means there is harmony. There is single-mindedness. That is, there are different people, and this is one church now. This is only talking about the church at Jerusalem at this moment. There aren't any other churches. This church is about to be birthed, if you will, into, the, into what it, we call the body of Christ. You might say constituted into the body of Christ. We'll cover that probably on Sunday. But this church is about to be birthed and, and constituted into the spiritual body of Christ. There is only one church at this point in history, local church. And it says, the Bible says, there were many people in the church. We know there were 120, but there were more than that because we know there were over 500 that saw the resurrected Lord, uh, that saw the Lord after he rose from the dead, right? So those people are somewhere. Now, they might not be in this group. Some of them might be, some of them might not be, but there were not just the apostles. There were also, there were men, there were women, there were non-apostles. There were no doubt children in this group that were all part of this group when it says they were all with one accord. And no doubt in that group, you think of the apostles. Did all of the apostles have the same viewpoint? Were all the apostles similar? No, they weren't. You have Peter, James, and John, probably Andrew and Philip and Nathaniel were probably fishermen. And we know the apostles fished, but then you had Matthew who is a, who was a publican, a tax collector. And then we don't have a lot of information about what the others did, but you know that they did not always see eye to eye. You know that. And in a group of 120, say, in a group of 120, there are, there are, bound, there are bound to be people, even in this group. This is, uh, this is a, I wouldn't call this a terribly diverse group. There are some diversity within our group. There's men, there's women. There's people that come from different uh, areas of the world, areas of the country in this group. And especially on Sunday, we have people, uh, we have people you know, like the family from Pakistan is, has been coming, coming to visit. And uh, Will, you mentioned well, we, uh, we've, we've seen Will here visiting. Will's, uh, I think his dad is from Germany. So, you know, you have this, these dynamic of, di of differences of, of, of people in this 120, and that's important. We know the apostles didn't always agree even when the Lord was on the earth because, remember, they argued who will be the greatest. And even mom was involved, you know. It was like, ah. you, you remember that. But the point is they had disagreements. They didn't always see eye to eye. But look at, the, look at this verse. They were with, they were with one accord. They were all with one accord. They were, 
They had one mind. They had one heart. There was harmony and there was unity. You know what? This is a feature of the book of Acts, especially the first half of the book of Acts. This is a feature of the early church. Look at this. Look at Acts chapter 1, verse 14. We're just going to walk through Acts a little bit. Acts 1, verse 14. Now, this is before the Spirit of God comes, but notice what it says. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. Notice, they're in one accord here too. Look at chapter 2, verse number 46, the end of the chapter that we're looking at. It says this, And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Here they are again. Now listen, I'm going to say something. Through the influence of the Holy Spirit, they were in unity and harmony. Now, now listen. Just because you're in one accord does not mean you're all the same. That's the world's harmony. The world's harmony says, you must be exactly like me or I'm going to hate you. And that's the basis of racism and a lot of other kind of what the Bible describes as variants, is the world's harmony is you either be exactly like me or else I'm not going to treat you right. But that is not, the Bible does not require us to all be the same. The Bible does not require that. As an example, does not the Scripture teach that in the church there are diversities of gifts? You hear that word? Diversities of gifts. That means Sister Karen's gifts might be different than Sister Judy's gifts, might be different than my wife's gifts, might be different than Sister Amy's gifts, and are definitely going to be different than my gifts. It's okay to be different. And it's okay to have different ideas and opinions. God does not require us to have the same, be the same in, in every respect. Even though there's differences, and there were no doubt differences here, they were still in one accord. We don't have to be the same to be in one accord. All right, let's look at chapter 4, verse number 24. This is Peter coming back after the, they were, he and John were before the council. Verse 24, chapter 4 says, And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice with one accord. This is the second time. Chapter 1, verse 14, and now chapter 4, verse 24, you notice the, there's a connection between being in one accord, harmony, unity, being of one mind, being in agreement with prayer. You know, one thing that will help our church and help any church or any Christians to be at, to be at unity, to be in unity and be in one accord is prayer together. If our church prays together, see, prayer is not just about getting the answer. Prayer is not just about getting what we ask for. Prayer is an exercise by which God works in us as well, in us individually, but also in us corporately. That's why it cannot be neglected in our church. We will neglect prayer to our 
serious detriment. And if, if in the future there's a, there's a prayer meeting held for, for, for instance, for VBS or for anything, anything, it, it, should be, it should be something that all of us are involved in, not something we avoid. That's one way, one of the reasons this church had unity is because they were in prayer. Secondly, you know, all of us, all of us have uh, differences of opinion. All of us know Christians that we don't agree with in every, in every case. But a good test on a personal level, a good test for whether or not we actually are, are in one accord or are walking, if, you know, walking in the Spirit is can we pray for that person? I'll give you a, I'll give you a test. If there's someone with whom you disagree... Someone you don't even, you just don't like. I'm talking about a believer now. And I'd, I'll just give you a test. Can you pray for that person without mentioning that point that you, with which you disagree with them? Can you pray for them for their good with a pure heart before God without mentioning any of, any of the little quote? And that, that means, Lord, I don't like him. I don't like her. Lord, I pray for them. They get that right. No, 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 no. Can you pray? Can you pray for them without praying for that? See, it's a test of whether we can be in one accord. Let's look at a couple more verses. There is definitely a connection. Chapter 4, look at verse 32. The connection between prayer and being in one accord. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. You see that? One heart, one soul. But the, first, the beginning of the verse says, and the what? The multitude. Anytime you have, listen, anytime you have a plural number of people, you have disagreements. You have disagreements. But you still have to be able to, to, to have unity despite disagreements. That's the principle. Unity does not come, unity does not come from being in agreement in every point. Of course, we know there are broad things about, you know, about which we, we absolutely must be in agreement. But beyond that, every minute detail does not have to be in agreement for us to get along. And here's the thing. If we have a problem with anyone and we cannot show kindness and love and, and, and harmony towards someone because they disagree with us, that is not a mark of the Spirit. That is a mark of the flesh. That's a mark of the flesh. Look at 4 verse 32. Notice that multitude. There was a bunch of different people. They, without a doubt, had differences of opinion. But they were in one accord. See, here's the thing I want you to understand. This oneness and this unity reflects in practice what the church was in substance. You see, that day of Pentecost is when that, those individuals became a body. The day of Pentecost was when, was when those individuals became a body, became one, one unit, the church of God, the body of Christ. That's what Pentecost did. And and so what they're demonstrating in practice, they're in one accord, they're in unity, though they're all different, they're in one accord, they're demonstrating what is actually true of them. And you know what? Our church, 
You, as a, as a believer in Christ, you're part of the body of Christ. We are one body. Whether we like each other or not, whether we agree or not, we are one body. So the challenge then is to practice that, that truth in our everyday life and in our interactions with people. Look at John chapter 17. Hold your place in Acts as we're coming back here. John 17, verse number 20. This is the Lord's Prayer. Not the model prayer, but the Lord's Prayer when He's praying to the Father. He says, now, now follow this closely. I don't want, I don't want to lose you. Uh, trivia question. The Lord's Prayer, primarily, Jesus is praying for whom? The disciples. All right? But in verse 20 is when there's a change. It says this, Neither pray I for these, the disciples, alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Is he talking about the disciples? No, he's talking about you. He's talking about me because we've all believed through their word. That's the Bible, right? Now look, look at what it says in verse 21. That they all, that's all the believers, may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and thou in me, that they may be perfect, be made perfect in one. That the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them, and hast loved me. You see, it's a lot of confusing words going back and forth, but here's the point I want you, I want you to understand. We must, you must be able to be in harmony with other believers. And you cannot set, you cannot rightly set some standard such that if this person doesn't do, do what I think they should do here, then I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to mistreat them or I'm not going to be able to be in harmony with them. And we're not talking about flagrant sin here. That's not what we're referring to. But we must be able to be in harmony and in unity and one accord with one another, even with differences. We have to. Look at Acts chapter 5, going back there, verse number 12. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And they were all, look what it says, with one accord in Solomon's porch. They were all in one accord. Philippians chapter 2, verse 2, listen to this. Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. What do you what, what do, you do just on the, as a practical matter, what do you do in the church when another person believes something a little bit different than you believe? What is the, what is the resolution to that, to that problem? Because obviously you're not going to give up what you believe and obviously they're not going to give up what they believe. So, so what's the solution then? So because we have a difference of opinion, we're just, what are we going to do? Be mean to each other? This is a serious question. Because we have a difference of opinion and it's not, we're not going to, 
I'm not going to convince you and you're not going to convince me. So what are we going to do? Just turn cold shoulder? No. We're going to be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. See, here's what it means. As I said first, being in one accord does not mean we are the same. Here's what it means. We recognize that, first of all, we have much more in common than we, than we disagree upon. Number two, the things that we do have in common are far more important than things we disagree on. So it's okay if we're different. Now, that does, just because we're different, that doesn't mean, uh, Sister Judy, if I, if, I, if I get along with you and I show you love and I show you kindness, that doesn't mean I necessarily agree on, on that point with which we disagree. Not that we have one of those, but I'm just using her as an example. Or if Brother Joseph, if we have some point we disagree on, that, that, that doesn't mean I necessarily agree with him. But you know what, Brother Joseph? If that's the case, and I don't know that it is, but if that's the case, I need to be able to look at Brother Joseph and say, well, I don't agree with that. And he ought to be able to look at me and say, well, I don't agree with that. And then we still go on loving one another. We still go on being friends. We still go on having one accord. It is possible. It absolutely is possible. But the second thing I want you to see is this. Being in one accord is a product and a fruit of the Spirit that the Spirit of God produces in us. Look at Galatians chapter 5. <clears throat> Galatians 5 and verse number 22. You all know this verse, but look at it if you would. Galatians 5, 22 says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. See that? Peace. Lack of contention. That's a fruit of the Spirit. Long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Meekness is another one that affects it. Against such there is no law. Now go back up a couple of verses and see the, 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 the contrast. Verse number 20. Or 19 rather. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, obviously. Fornication, obviously. Uncleanness, lasciviousness. Those are all pretty obvious. Idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, Variance, emulations, that's competing with one another. Wrath, strife, seditions, uprisings, heresies, those are divisions. Look at those things. Here's the thing. Those are works of the flesh. It doesn't matter. Listen now. It doesn't matter if we have what we think of as a biblical reason as a basis for doing these things, they're still wrong and wicked. Divisions, hatred, variance, strife. Those are exact, that's the exact opposite of the word accord. Like discord, sowing discord. That's the exact, these things are of the flesh. But sometimes we, we take our, our, our religious beliefs, our biblical beliefs perhaps, that we sincerely hold, and those are the pretext for the flesh to be indulged in these things. And so we can't be in one accord. 
You know why? Because we're using what we think that we what we think and believe the Bible says, and we might be true, we might be accurate, but we're using those things as a pretext to fulfill the lust of the flesh, and so we can't be in one accord. Because the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God produces unity, not at the expense of truth, but unity despite diversity. That's what you see in the book of Acts. How, how could you explain the whole Gentile church idea? It's full of Gentiles. They're all from different countries. Well, it's because of the unity of the Spirit. That doesn't mean we all must be exactly the same, but we can be in one accord. The second thing we, we see here, go back to the beginning of Acts, if you would, is in chapter 2 it says this. I'll have to hurry with this one. They were all with one accord in one place. You know, I said the, the early church in Acts is, a, is, a, is an exemplary church. That is an example to us because one of the things, the characteristics you see is that church is always meeting together. Let's look at a few verses. Look at chapter 2, verse 44. Some of these verses we already read, but I didn't point out this part of it. It says this, And all that believed were together. You see that? All that believed were together. They were together. They saw each other face to face and had all things common. Verse 46, And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple. And from... Breaking, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. They were together. They met in the temple. We read the verse that talks about how they were together in Solomon's porch. I won't read it again. They met together. It wasn't good enough to be a Christian. Listen to me. It wasn't good enough to be a believer in Christ. Yeah, you're a believer in Christ. You're saved. He's forgiven your sins. But that wasn't sufficient for them to grow, and to do the will of God in full. They needed to be together. It is not possible, it is not possible for a believer to be in the will of God if he neglects the church. It is not possible. And by neglect the church, I'm not talking about warm, fuzzy feelings and fondness to a church. No, I'm talking about being present and involved. That is part of being a Christian. Acts chapter 14, verse 27. Listen to this verse. And when they were come, Paul and Barnabas, and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. Chapter 15, verse 25, says this. It seemed good unto us being assembled here it is again, with one accord. Not only were they together in the same place, they were together in the same mind. To send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Saul and Paul. Now look at our last verse we want to look at is in Matthew chapter 18. I'm sure this is a familiar verse to you, but I want to look at one thing from here. Matthew 18, verse 20. Or verse 19, to get the context a little bit. It says this, Again, I say unto you, 
that if two, two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Now, now follow me. The Lord sets a pretty low bar, two or three, right? And, and some people wrongly, I believe, use this verse to, just, to say, well, I don't have to go to church. I can just meet with my, my, you know, a couple of my friends or a couple of my neighbors and that's a church. Well, that's, if this is the only verse in the Bible, maybe that makes sense, but it's not, okay? But what you do see in this verse, what you do see in this verse is they are not alone. They see other Christians face to face gathered. It is important that you, as a part of this church, are here with your brothers and sisters in Christ. It is important that you be present. It's not just about you. It's not just about the numbers. It's about the body. As Pastor Stewart would say, it's about the team. Same, same idea. You, you need to be here because it helps you. This is what the early church did. This is the example. They gathered together. They saw each other face to face. And the second thing is in this, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Now, I know if you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit. That is, you have Jesus in you, right? That means when you leave here and you go, you go and you go, go, go sleep in your bed, Jesus is there with you. He's in, your, he's in you. You're the temple of the Holy Ghost, right? Right? Give me a nod. Right, you're the temple of the Holy Ghost. But Jesus says something different. He says, there am I in the midst of them gathering. So in a, somehow in a separate, different kind of, distinct kind of way, Jesus says, I'll be in the midst when you gather together in a way that he's not present in the indwelling Holy Spirit. Now, I don't understand the difference, but I want to tell you, it matters if you're here. The Lord is among us in a way distinct from the way he is in us as an individual. That's what he's saying. So we need to gather together. Look, the body of Christ should be an important part of our life. The body of Christ should not be a passing commitment. It should be a serious commitment in our lives. And this is not about this church. This is about Jesus. This is his will. This is the example he gave, right? And it's definitely not about promoting a pastor or filling out attendance sheets or anything. It's not about that. It's not about that. It's about the body of Christ and how much you and I need each other. We cannot do this thing without each other. That means we have to be present. And it's also not just about preaching. Well, I can just listen to a sermon on, online. No, you can't. Because that doesn't give you what you need. You don't need just a sermon. You need the fellowship of the believers. And you can't get that from listening to a sermon. Now, I'm all about listening to a sermon. You see, when you meet together, it provides you accountability for your spiritual walk. When you meet together, you know what it also does? It forces, going back to one accord, it forces you to be around people that are different than you. 
It is so easy to isolate yourself. You know what? If you isolate yourself and you're like, well, I would be fine if just nobody would talk to me. That is not spiritual. That is carnal. Because that demonstrates that you can't get along with other people who are different. The church forces you to. It forces you to be around people that are different than you. They have different personalities and maybe a little bit different values or whatever. It forces you to be around people like that and rub shoulders with them. And then the Lord, in turn, teaches you to love them. And to be long, he, in other words, in the church, the Lord puts us together so that some of us kind of, you know, irritate one another or whatever. Do, do we have little, you know, little quibbles and little whatevers, you know, that we that we have to get over? And you know what? The Lord teaches us long suffering in that way. He teaches us, he teaches us to have long suffering in the way that he he has long suffering, to have patience the way he has patience, to love even though that person isn't doing everything that I want them to do. That's the church. That's one of the reasons he put, he says, meet together. And that's what the early church did. They gathered together in one place. They gathered together in one place. You know, our, our own church's constitution reflects that. You know that? Our church's constitution reflects this truth. Did you know that in our church's constitution, if you do not come to a service at least once in six months, that you're subject to be removed as a member? Now, in my, the Bible doesn't say six months or three months or one year. That's not the point. The point is, the point is you can't be a part of a church. You might be on some role. Who cares if you're not here? Being here is what matters, not your name on a role. Right? The role doesn't matter. It's you being here. Seeing each other. That's what it means to be a part of a church. But see, here's the problem. We view church membership in the South like membership at the Lions Club or the Rotary Club or some subscription we buy or some, uh, you know, the Sheriff's Association so we can have the sticker to put on our car so the cop won't give us a, a ticket. We pay the money and we, we get the benefits. That's the way we view... Where my, my note go? There we go. That's the way we view church, church, church membership but it contradicts, it contradicts the Scripture. How many people have you met out evangelizing? They say, oh, I'm a member of such and such church. They don't know nothing about the church. They don't know who the preacher is. They don't know anybody there. They haven't been there in 100 years. Why, why do they think they're a member? Because their name is on a roll. That is not what you find in the book of Acts. They carry the card. It shows they're a member. I'm a bona fide card-carrying member of such and such church, but I'm never there. That is not in the book of Acts. That is not there. In order to be a member, you had to be present. You see? Your presence is what makes you part of the church. You see? And I know there are people that can't come. That's not what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. And you know what? If you're not here and you don't gather together with the church, there's almost no benefit the church has to you. The benefit that the church provides you comes from you being here, being present. Think about that. Not carrying a card, not your name on a roll, that provides you no benefit, maybe a preacher when you die. <laughs> but the benefit comes from being present. So let's, at our church, 
You as an individual, let's try to follow the example of this early church when the Lord was really at work showing us this is the way it's supposed to be. Be in one accord and to be in one place. Let's pray.